BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody, it's Thursday evening, and it is episode 310 of Top Rope Nation. Ryan Drosty here with my guy Jesse Velasquez. No Justin joint this week, got some family stuff going on. But Jesse and I are here to talk all things pro wrestling with all of you. And as always, no shortage of things to talk about in the world of pro wrestling. And Jesse, I gotta say, man. What a trooper you are. Your beloved Minnesota Vikings right now playing Thursday night football against the Philadelphia Eagles. And you are here live streaming with us. How are you doing, sir? I even signed, re-signed my Amazon Prime account for tonight, too. <laughs> Very <laughs> unusual. Thank you so much for the record button. My goodness. And Dislike the fact that when we cut the cable, we have Sling, and Sling doesn't carry CBS, so I missed the Vikings game last week. I guess that's not such a bad thing, but we were able to catch Fox and NBC, but what doesn't carry CBS? Anyhow, let's get to wrestling first, right? I know. I'm going to just say our goal as a podcast right now should try to be like the number 57 ranked podcast on YouTube. There'll be one above Tyrus. Oh, no. The PWI 500. Yes has dropped and uh yes i am aware it's a kayfabe list everybody but still i mean it's it's worth talking about pwi at, growing up that was the source man so we're, we're going to talk about that we're going to look at their list we're going to give our thoughts especially on the top 10 a little bit later in the show um, but before we get to all of the news jesse as our listeners love to hear Shout out Sean Skelton. It is time for the what is in your glass or what are you drinking for this week's episode of Top Rope Nation. What do you got, Jesse? Shout out to Tim Jensen for the swap of the peanut butter porters. We got a little bussin. Ah, West Coast IPA. I am not 100% sure what city this is. Oh, it's from Colorado. Dimensional Brewing, Colorado. It's good stuff. Nice, smooth. I'm an IPA guy, so... Fits, fits the flavor buds correctly. We're all good here. How about yourself? 
I am drinking a local Iowa brewery, Victory Dance IPA, single speed brewing. This is a, a go-to for both myself and Justin. Really solid, easy drinking IPA tonight. I think I almost grabbed a Surly Furious, you know, from up there in your neck of the woods. But I, I, I drink that one a lot on the show. So I'm like, I don't think I've had Victory Dance in a while. So if you're in the upper Midwest, you might be able to find this one around. Their distribution's getting out there. But yeah, out of Waterloo, single speed Waterloo, brewing, nice. Victory Dance. So that is, that's what is fueling us tonight. Also fueling us, our patrons, our beloved patrons. Thank you very much for all of your support. You're seeing the names scrolling across the bottom of the video feed right now. And real quickly, want to say, Jesse, awesome show that you just dropped a couple of days ago with Sean's brother, Rick Skelton, looking at the great IC champions of all time, t- talking about Gunther and uh, where he ranks all time in the IC title picture. But then also, most notably, a show I know you have been looking forward to doing for a very long time, ECW Heatwave 98. I was listening to this um, as I was monitoring study hall at school yesterday. I had my AirPods in, and I was checking out that show, and I very much enjoyed it. So if you guys want to hear it, it's a Patreon bonus show, TRN Unplugged, Jesse's show that he's hosted for years, now under the top rope nation patreon banner and uh yeah sign up exclusive seven day free trial it's the only place you can hear that along with top rope nation extra and top rope nation classics over a hundred bonus shows jesse great job on that show man thank you again that was a sweet spot for myself and it looked like rick too i just when if you if you listen super closely we were very very passionate about that ecw pay-per-view Sean and I had spoken in Chicago, as you know, because he was with us or just in that bar right before we walked into the United Center. And we talked for about 10 minutes about ECW as well and some of his first memories. And he was wondering if the card had RVD and Jerry Lynn on it. And I said, no, that was a little bit later on and kind of brushed up on the history. So we give a Cliff Notes history, but then deep dive into what's probably the greatest pay-per-view in ECW history and Meltzer's Observer rated it the best show pay-per-view wise of 1998 that's all you need to know right there that's why you got to check it out I I you know I was listening to you guys talk about that and I think I have to watch it back on Daily Motion just to get the true entrance music you know of course it is on Peacock or the network but if if you want to see it as it aired you got to you got to seek it out in Daily Motion that is the difference, everyone. Daily Motion, if you can find specific things, I know that they'll do pay-per-views, cut them in thirds. Normally, they'll give you about 50 minutes and then uh, split it up and get the rest in. I don't know how many full pay-per-views are on there. I know that if Barely Legal 97 wins next year, by the way, folks, and the Patreons in April, that is also on Daily Motion. Yeah, there you go. Always, I mean, it's it's the way to watch ECW. If you're not getting that original theme music, it's just not the same. That was one of the things that always set ECW apart. And we're kind of getting that with AEW now where they will use real music here and there. But I mean, ECW always had the real music. And it, I remember the first time I saw an ECW show and it's like, whoa, what is this? You know, actual rock music. This is amazing. And so, yeah. Welcome to the jungle, Guns N' Roses. You had Pantera's Walk. You had Snap Your Fingers, Snap Your Neck. Metallica's Enter Sandman. I mean, pretty much all the, a lot of the classics. And I know oh, that yeah. Ray- Back in Black. Yeah, Back yeah. in Black from Chris Candido. That was, that was, that's an all-timer right there, too. And then Raven, of yeah. course, had Offsprings. I can't remember the name of the song, but of course, the beginning is fantastic. Got to keep them separated. Oh, yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, so guys, hey, if you're joining us live right now, got a few people starting to tune in. Let us know in the chat your thoughts. As always, we are streaming live on the SE Scoops YouTube channel, our YouTube channel, Facebook, uh, Twitch, Twitter, all the places. Really appreciate everyone tuning in live. And if you listen to us on the podcast feed, appreciate your support. But if you've never tuned in live, check it out sometime. Join us, get involved in the show. If you're on the SE Scoops YouTube channel and you want to get your comment featured in the show, Super chats are open, a great way to support the show with those super chats. Send them on the SE Scoops YouTube channel and scoops.com for all your pro wrestling news. And the big news this week is that Vince McMahon, for the first time ever, is no longer majority shareholder with the WWE. And that is because we had the big merger this week. Uh, WWE UFC now officially merged under the TKO group. And uh, I mean, just a a huge moment for that company financially, also just the history of the company. I think this is going to change so much of what's going on with with WWE moving forward. Uh, You might see some crossover here and there, at least a a little bit. I think some people think it's going to be more than it actually will be, but it's going to happen. I think the biggest thing that you're going to see in the future, and and there's been people writing about this and talking about it already, is that uh, you might have like a, a UFC show and a WWE show in the same city on the same weekend where they kind of package those together, you know, the bigger shows for WWE, knowing that they have such this big travel and audience and, you know, they can check out both companies owned by, you know, the same company now. And uh, I mean, the biggest thing for that is that I wonder how that will affect ticket pricing because UFC tickets are quite a bit more than WWE tickets and they'll have to strike some kind of balance there. Um, but I mean, everyone saw probably the the pictures, the video clips, the New York Stock Exchange celebrating all this. It was just a huge moment, you know, hearkening back to when WWF first went public so many years ago. But uh, Jesse, I could have never thought that we would see a day that the WWE and the UFC would essentially be the same company. What are your thoughts on all of this? It is a little surreal when you really break it down like that, isn't it, Ryan? Because I'm actually just, ironically, I dove into a couple of chapters today of Ken Shamrock's book. And this was when he was kind of, he was just going through some hard times and in the early 2000s and was debating to go back to the WWF. He was trying to go back to the WWF, but he got a huge fight deal to, to take on Tito Ortiz when he was way past his prime, 38 years yeah. old. And this was probably around the time that UFC was purchased by Dana White and Zuffa for, it was like $2 million. And look where it this is This was now. the fall of 2002. I got that show live. I remember ordering it. It was like my freshman year of college. Yeah, and I I really dove into the UFC probably around 2005, five six when a lot of the guys from Pride came over to the UFC. They were past past their prime, but I mean, it was being covered by Sports Illustrated. This was the height of their popularity. We had a show here in Minnesota, UFC show where Brock Lesnar was underneath with the main event being George St. Pierre and John Fitch. So you would think that MMA, real fighting, and pro wrestling obviously a little choreographed and uh, pretend fighting as JR likes to say on his show. You would think though, that there would be some appreciation and there definitely is between the performers because we've seen the likes of Andre Arlovsky, Junior Dos Santos and Jorge Masvidal with AEW. They've recently, they wrestled at full gear. We were there. Mm -hmm. So no, I, 
it, it's it's really surreal. I'm just very curious too because what you're also starting to see is the the Vince McMahon and Dana White think alike mm-hmm. on a lot of things. So this this Ooh, marriage yeah. com- this marriage makes complete sense. I I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like early on, like around that time, there there definitely was a lot more crossover I think between WWE and UFC fans than maybe there is right now. I mean, you go back to when the ultimate fighter started and it was on right after raw and having raw as the lead in was huge for UFC and it grew that show. And I think just even remembering as a fan at the time and just like the dialogue online and everything, there was so much, uh, you know, so many people overlapping watching both. And I, I feel like the people I follow or that I talk to that are still really big into UFC now aren't really wrestling fans. So I don't know, you know, there was talk this week about making every UFC fan a WWE fan and vice versa. I mean, that's that's just not going to happen. You're talking about a scripted sport and, and real combat sports, but maybe they can grow it back to a, a little bit and try to get back to where they were. But do you have a sense of this too? Because you, yeah, you've been an MMA fan over the years. I mean, do you, do you think that, um, it was more so back then having that overlap. Yes. I mean, my, my second favorite podcast, the corner, they cover, they cover it all. Andreas and Kel are huge boxing and MMA fans. Like obviously Andreas covers boxing, Kel covers MMA. And they, the whole thing actually started on their, their common bond with pro wrestling. And that was their very first show they ever did was pretty pro wrestling centric. So, but then you look at the feeds. I mean, even, like Meltzer, I know that he covered UFC. He still does. The Wrestling Observer still does, but you you don't really hear him talking about it much. It's yeah, there there's been, I guess, not necessarily a falling out, but just kind of a maybe a slow, steady separation, I'd say. And it's probably been that way since 2015. Cause I mean, when Brock Lesnar came back to the WWE in 2012, he had his MMA trunks with the Jack Link sponsorship on it. So you would think that he left in good graces. And he also went back to, f- to fight again two year, two or three years later as well on the UFC 200 pay-per-view. So yeah. I don't, I'm assuming that that relationship has never fizzled. It's just never really been brought back to the forefront. Yeah. I agree. There, I, I want to plug this right now, but on the SC Scoops YouTube channel, there's a really good chat about all of this and like the business aspects of it. Um, our fearless leader, Mike Shalik, he had Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics on, and they, those two had a great discussion on uh, everything going on with WWE and UFC and the merger and everything. So if you want some really good insight into the business side, which is not, I mean, particularly my forte, I can get into that a little bit. I mean, Thurston is one of the best analysts when it comes to wrestling uh, financials. I would highly recommend checking that out. It's a great chat. It's on the SC Scoops YouTube channel. You can find it there. Um, but I did want to mention, and this just broke today, uh, Sean Ross Sapp had uh, posted this message that went out internally uh, within WWE. I think I'll just read it on air for the podcast listeners. Uh, but I can put it up here on the screen on video for everyone tuning into the live feed. Uh, but this has to do with what's going on with potential layoffs here, probably starting tomorrow. So this is verbatim what went out within WWE. Quote, as part of WWE's transition into the newly formed TKO Group Holdings 
we are evaluating our existing operations and systems to identify potential synergies across the business. This effort includes workforce reductions, which will pl- which will take place tomorrow, so Friday. Those whose roles have been impacted will be notified by our human resources team who will share the details of their severance package. We are asking that everyone work remotely Friday, September 15th, so we can ensure all conversations are handled privately and respectfully. We'll send out a company-wide email once all of today's conversations have happened. Our company is home to the most talented, creative, and hardworking employees in the world. WWE is a special place, which makes moments like this difficult. Just know that we have nothing but gratitude and admiration for everyone we have had the privilege to work alongside. Thank you for all your contributions and dedication, end quote. So, I I mean, I can't say that this is unexpected. Whenever mergers happen, this is typically what happens. You know, these two companies are coming together and they don't need people doing basically the same job, having multiple people doing those. Unfortunately, this is how it plays out in the corporate world. Not good, Jesse, uh, but also not unexpected. What do you think? And that's it with larger corporations, especially at the end of the day. I mean, we're all human beings, but they're numbers. And they're just trying to keep costs at a specific minimum, all while making a profit. And I know that's been a really big controversy, more so in the mixed martial arts world, that Dana White really underpays his fighters when, for example, Conor McGregor goes and leaves to box one match, makes $75 million and says, I don't really have to go back and never fight again. And you think he's fought two mixed martial arts matches since. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, WWE doesn't follow that model. That's for sure. I, I would love to look at like some financial statements just to see like how much the the top guys and top gals are getting paid there as opposed to the UFC and who's making more as a corporation. So yeah, again, in the grand scheme of things and at the end of the day, it's just, it's, it's not personal. It's just business pal. Yeah. I mean, the live gates UFC pulls in just with the pricing of their tickets are astronomical. They're, they're pulling in a lot of money, but But their pay-per-views and how much those cost. Oh yeah. And that's going to be the interesting story moving forward with this new group is, you know, when this WWE situation with Peacock ends, you know, then what happens with the network here in the States, you know, do they go back to the pay-per-view model? Do they go to a situation where you know, the WWE moves to like the ESPN app and, you know, they have this with UFC now where you buy, you can buy their pay-per-views through that. You know, is that what happens with WWE? I hope not. I'm sure as hell not going to be buying like 15 WWE pay-per-views a year. Uh, So, and, and, you know, AEW for that matter, their model is going to be changing too. We have them adding more pay-per-views now, and those are still uh, $50. We know that AEW is going to be looking at streaming eventually, probably with HBO Max. But I've also heard talk, and I, I know Andrew Zarian over on That Man was talking about this, that there could be like some membership fee for that streaming, like an additional cost on top of HBO Max or however this happens with BR Sports or Max Sports. We don't know what that's going to look like yet, but I would imagine both WWE and UFC in the next couple of years, these live event situations on television are going to look way different than they do right now. It's scary. And I, I believe don't quote me on this, but the Peacock and WWE deal is done in 2027. 
There's still a lot of time for those PLEs to be, of course, linked with Peacock. And that's simple as like a four or $5 a month subscription. I know link the premium. I think everything has gone up on that aspect too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all these streaming apps, man, we're getting to the point where just have cable again. (laughs) You start paying for all of these with the increased cost and it's not any cheaper anymore. Cord cutting. So you got to pick and choose what you want to use for your streaming. But man, if WWE switches services again, which I mean, I'm sure it's going to happen eventually. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to hate as a traditionalist waiting for all those classic shows to get up again. Remember all the waiting when they moved to Peacock and all the stuff that was already on the network that we had to wait for to get added back to Peacock forever. It seemed like I'm just like waiting, waiting, waiting. Now it's pretty much all there, but it took a while. It took months to get it there. So I've I've always been secretly hoping. I wish the network would just relaunch here in the U.S. if they ever go off Peacock. But I don't think that's going to happen. There's going to be too much money to be made with them going with another or another streaming organization. So that's something Rick and I discussed as well on the extra was the fact that younger folks are never going to appreciate the tape trading that everything is accessible nowadays, mm-hmm. especially with the network still in the UK, I believe. And then Peacock here. I like that talk on the show that on the unplugged show that you guys did. He, he was mentioning you'd get those tapes that had been obviously dubbed like 10 to 15 times. And the quality <laughs> was so bad. I remember having my list of for tape trading on a, a website so people could look at what they wanted to trade with. And you had to rate, you know, the quality of every tape because some of them are just horrid because every time you dub the tape, the quality got less and less. And it was, you can still watch. I mean, today these kids would be horrified watching some of the stuff that we did quality wise. But uh, do you remember off the top of your head? Like what was like the number one tape that you tried to chase down and you finally got, and it was like the most joyous occasion that you had as a wrestling fan um man i mean i know when i first got into tape trading i wanted the j cups but they weren't really that hard yes to get. i mean okay i can't say they were super hard to get but when i got them i was super pumped to get the j cups yep um so that's the one that stands out the most to me that i, w- I was like running to the mailbox to get the super j cups yep and finally getting those and they had a pre- prestigious spot on my video cabinet wall so. <laughs> yes yeah super <laughs> j cup 1995 yeah, bar none yep. is 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 my number one on on my list and yeah, now i think I mean, you can find half of it or three quarters of it on new japan world yeah i think the most rare stuff that was standing out at the time was just like some of the fan cams i loved getting the fan cams because that was stuff you would never ever see outside of tape trading you know it wasn't sold it wasn't on pay-per-view um but yeah all the japanese stuff too i mean now it's wild when you think about it we can watch live shows happening in japan on njpw world and back then you wait weeks and months and it was so cool to see stuff happening in japan just through tape trading but yeah i, I love getting the fan cams you know the little hidden gems like the iron man matches that happened uh like i had the brett and owen one brett and flair you know the different ladder matches we talked about that on classics the history of the ladder match when we did a uh, SummerSlam 98 a couple of weeks ago patrons can check that out and some of them that happened you know outside of the wwe wwf pantheon of their history of the ladder match and you know hearing about those rarities and stuff so there was there's so many gems and now it's like what are the gems everything's accessible you can find it on daily motion you can find it on youtube you can find it on peacock it's it's all out there it's so crazy even stardom and noah and all japan all have streaming systems too yeah that's nuts Spend even more money on those streaming services. Ah, oh, man. 
All right. So that's what's going on. WWE, the merger with UFC and the TKO group. Um, also, WWE announced, by the way, Jesse, the, the location officially for the 2024 Royal Rumble, which I'm sure we'll be talking about here on the pod when it happens. Were you surprised by this location? Tropicana Field in Tampa, Florida? I mean, I guess a Florida city doesn't surprise me, but Tropicana Field is universally known as one of like the shittiest stadiums in MLB. Why, why would they run there? It's number 30 out of 30 on uh, probably... <laughs> Yeah, if you really get a big consensus around Major League Baseball experts, yeah, it's the worst stadium in America. And correct me if I'm wrong as well, didn't they move the pandemic shows into Tropicana Field? I think from yeah, the PC, at, I believe they did. I think that's right because they were at, yeah they were in what Orlando for a little while as well, and then I think they moved there once. Was that when basketball started? I can't even remember. Try to black all of that out now at this point. I know. I think, I think you're right. Well, and then look at that, too, because AEW was stationed everything at Daly's place. So mm-hmm. maybe it's just more of a homage, like, OK, thank you so much for hosting us during the pandemic era. Now we're going to throw you a bone and give you a PLE, especially a major one. But yeah, I don't know how in the world they're going to throw a dress over that hooker. Oh, <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> can't dress that thing up, man. You cannot. Absolutely cannot. <laughs> You ain't classing that thing up. Ain't no Julia Roberts thing is happening here. You're not turning Tropicana Field into Pretty Woman. It ain't happening. (laughs) (laughs) It is not happening. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I mean, they've been in this routine of baseball fields, I guess. Um, But man, I think it was John Alba, top rope nation veteran, John Alba, who had the tweet about it. He just hopes the lights stay on, and he was being serious. So. Yeah, gone are the days of Safeco or when it was Safeco. I love that WrestleMania 19, by the way. More of the the stage presence of it all. That was great. Yeah, absolutely. Same. All right. So, yeah, we got that going on with the Royal Rumble. Uh, We'll we'll hit PWI 500 here in a little bit. I want to talk about now a little AEW. So, last night we had Dynamite and the go-home show to Grand Slam. And so we know the announced card for next week's Grand Slam. They did the tournament to crown someone to face MJF. And, uh, you know, it came down to Roddy Strong and Samoa Joe. And we talked about this, I think, last week on the pod. Yeah, it was last week because Justin was on here. And we debated which direction w- that they would go. And there was some talk about Roddy Strong and Samoa Joe. And I think for me, and this is what I said last week, it came down to the fact that this being such a big show, in a huge location that they have not sold that many tickets to, especially in compared to two years ago or even last year. This is, it ain't looking good from the ticket sales perspective. I, I just, you can't put Roderick Strong in that title match with MJF if you're looking to move tickets. I think it had to be Samoa Joe. And it's just a bigger match. That's what we're getting. You know, they're doing their best in making this Roddy Strong character interesting. And I think it is getting more interesting every week. And, hopefully building up to a crescendo with whatever happens with Adam Cole. But at this point, you could not go with him, Jesse. It it had to be Samoa Joe. I am liking the Roderick Strong stuff, slowly but surely. But yes, I mean, you got to give him a little more momentum. And I think once you you keep him involved in this angle with the kingdom, then you can revisit something, maybe even like a international title shot or a TNT. But yeah, Samoa Joe makes the most sense. I just hope that people have... 
like short-term memory loss because he's obviously lost two times to CM Punk and he's gone. So Mm -hmm. to maybe buy him as a guy who could try to, who could unseat MJF. I think that's something that, gosh, and I've seen this in circles, but I completely agree with it. And I'm not necessarily advocating for this to happen to the AEW world title, but we need a, like a shock title change in one of these promotions very, very soon. Cause everything is, I know that you've always said in the past that predictable can be good and usually is good. Yet at times throw us a bone and give us something that just makes us kind of pop our, pop our eyes out of our head, but also can make sense of the situation too. I'm going to love this MJF Samoa Joe main event regardless. Cause there is a small backstory going back to the NXT stuff and Joe can still work. I'm really enjoying his run here in AW right now. Just starting to see the old stuff and he, he can still go. He's like 80% of his former self, but I mean, he's going to give Max a, a quality match and it's definitely a different performer that Max is going to be going against than what he's used to. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to your point about the losses, I think there is something to that, but at the same time, Joe is just so incredible on television. Like even with the losses, just his demeanor the charisma he has, he just comes across like such a badass that I, th- I think it'll be fine. Ideally, yeah, you wouldn't want him to have lost twice to Punk and then Punk's out, but they've done the, they've done their best to keep him looking strong, and I, I think they've done a good job with that. So, um, ticket sales wise, so two years ago, the first Grand Slam, they had over twenty thousand people in Arthur Ashe Stadium, and I, I looked up on the WrestleTix Patreon, their latest update. And three days ago, Grand Slam had sold 6,284 tickets, which is quite low. I mean, less than a third what they did two years ago. And the the building's only set up for a little over 12,000 right now. But even with that, it's only half full. So, I mean, yeah, they they needed to do something strong in this match. And the rest of the card, though, I mean, it, it is a solid card. I think there's there's some good discussion we could have on with these big shows like this. Do they need to start advertising these matches much further out? And we've, we've talked so much on this program in the past about how AEW pay-per-views, we don't know the final card until a week or two in advance usually. And they've been relying upon the good faith they've built from their audience that they're going to have a banger of a show, you know, regardless. And that's what always happens, even with, you know, our concerns with all out still had a great show. But man, these tickets just are not moving like they used to for this promotion. And and is it arrogant on their behalf to just think it's going to sell well and not even advertise matches for their audience? Because it did not work. I mean, they're in New York City and they sold 6,000 tickets for the show, Jesse. Not just advertise matches for the audience on television, but advertise matches for the market that they're going to. I saw that I, be- I, I might pronounce this guy's name wrong, but it's uh, Rick Ricciccino. He's on Believe Network. I know he's he's fairly well-known around the IWC. He's from the Cincinnati area, and he said that there was zero advertising for that AEW event last night. And it showed because there was only like 2,500 people in that building yeah. when the last time they were there was like 4,500. Yeah, you, you can't rely on that. And you have Eddie Kingston in promos telling Tony Schiavone to promote shows and sell tickets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there there has to be more of it. And it's not just to the online part, but use radio, especially when you're making that much money, Tony Khan. Yeah, you got to throw some advertising in the old school way, television, radio. It still works. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously they had the the big show in the UK that did so well. I mean, there's a lot of dialogue about that now with the turnstile count stuff and everything. I don't know how much we want to get into that. I mean, obviously yeah. they've drawn tickets. You know, they've sold tickets, I should say, recently. But week to week, their ticket sales are way down. WWE remains a hot ticket for the most part. And it, it is concerning. You want to see that pick up. And they're still having really good shows. Now, I think creative has been pretty good lately, but it's missing something right now. So to your point, advertising, just advertise, you know, get some stuff ready to go on these shows, especially the big ones like this. Um, and yet now we're a week out and now we have a card and it's looking pretty good. I mean, Joe and MJF, Soraya and Tony Storm, Tony Storm, one of the best things on TV with that character work that she's doing right now. So entertaining. Looking forward to the match. I hope they put mm-hmm. the belt back on her, Jesse. Which, by the way, holy, does that make any sense at all? Her losing to Hikaru Shida? No. Why couldn't she have just held on to the title going into All In? And if you want Soraya to win in front of her hometown fans, do it there. Not pin Tony Storm. You didn't have to go through yet another women's fatal four-way on TV. There's probably been about five in the last four months. None of this women's division booking makes any sense. We got... You know, the reports that they wanted to shake it up and, you know, Sheeta was going to get her run, which ended up being extremely short. There was no purpose in her having that title the way they built it up. I mean, yeah, they, they didn't need to take it off of Tony the way they did. I think when they took it off of Tony, we talked about it on the show and we were like, man, I don't want to see this end. She's one of the best things. And this was before the character shift. Yes. You know, and she was already one of the best things. And now what she's been doing with the character and the shoe and everything She's so entertaining, and there's just no argument to keep that belt on Saray. Just put it back on Tony Storm next week, please. Yeah, you, you have zero choice. I mean, I know it's going to be the one-year anniversary of Saray showing up in AEW, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's, again, and I mentioned on the show that I think Tony Khan was hoping to buy Saraya 75 cents on the dollar and hoping that like she could maybe resurrect what she was back in 2014, 2015. And it just hasn't worked at all in ring wise. She's just rusty. Maybe she's a little bit nicked up and yeah, Tony storm has just shown she's a real deal. Then you add this character on top of it. it. It's time to give her a very, very dominant run and just hope that Jamie hater heals within the next six months. And you just get a monster feud out of the way with those two. Yeah. They also got Jericho and Sammy Guevara. They had an in-ring segment on Dynamite last night. What did you think of that segment? I like the fact that they they played up and they showed that video package just going back to the very first Dynamite and Jericho. This is true, by the way. He did watch that NWA 70 pay-per-view and Guevara was on it and was just like, I want that kid in AEW. They did sign Mm -hmm. him off of that. So... As for whether what this does for Sammy's career remains to be seen, because I think the audience might be ready to embrace him, especially now that ties off a of television. Congratulations to them, by the way. So, and Jericho's been putting people over for the last, we're looking, probably this, this entire year. 2023 has been the year of him putting everybody over, so... I, I wouldn't mind it and just see where in the world this goes with Sammy or they become a tag team after the match is over and that I don't know. Not really looking yeah. forward to seeing that. Yeah. Uh, Moxley and Ray Phoenix for the international championship. It should be a very strong match. 
And then, of course, the big one that I know this podcast is really looking forward to, the mm-hmm. title versus title. ROH champ Claudio taking on NJPW strong openweight champ Eddie Kingston, finally. And, uh, I mean, with it being in New York, it's got to be Eddie Kingston here, right? My question is, when the podcast starts, I believe we're doing the Dynamite Grand Slam post show next week. I should just, oh shoot, I was going to say Justin might not be watching this live. I was going to say, where will Justin Joint's blood alcohol level be when this podcast starts? <laughs> if Justin can't do it live, we're going to have to go, because we had talked, it's a little behind the scenes note, we had talked about going live right after the show on Wednesday night rather than Thursday next week, because the last two years we've done an immediate post show on the Grand Slam night. Uh, but I, I don't know. Justin can't be on it. I think we got to do it Thursday because I, I want to hear his reaction to that match. He's been hyped for this match for months. So we'll see. I think happens. I think we all have. I, yeah. I, I think we all have. I mean, we're all big Eddie Kingston supporters on, on this pod. And we all. I, yeah, I think we're all Claudio supporters on this pod, too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking for the blow off. I'm hoping that opens the show. Mm-hmm. Which is that where you'd like it to be? I think so. Because, I mean, you're going to get a huge pop for Kingston when he comes out. This is going to be, because it's New York, this is going to be one of the most anticipated matches of the night. I would love to see him open with this. Which also, yeah, which was also odd last night when Claudio made the save for Moxley and Brian Danielson in face roll and then goes right back to heel roll when he's going to (laughs) be wrestling Kingston here in a week. Yeah. Should be a good match, though, man. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. This has been built up for a long time. And so they they finally got it together, and they have a really strong card. We'll see how it does in the ratings. I mean, the show is, is pretty much settled into that eight to 900,000 viewership. I don't know if they can, pop, they can pop a million or not for this or not. It would be nice. But for those of us watching, it's going to be a really good show. And then, then in just a couple of weeks, they got another pay-per-view. They're going to be out in Seattle, Wrestle Dream. That card coming together. Brian Danielson taking on Zack Sabre Jr. That's a dream match. People have talked about this one for years. No question about it. That one right there gets me to spend $50. And then you got Swerve and Hangman finally doing some stuff with Hangman again. Swerve, we've been so complimentary of him. (laughs) The Prince Nana dance there. Jesse's doing it on the video stream right now. That's going to be really fun. And and then they're teasing it to Keshta. Kota Ibushi, they did the segment last night with Don Callis and Takeshita, and he was unveiling his next victim and talked about how he was going to crush Kenny, and it was the painting of Kota Ibushi. And so if they do that at Wrestle Dream, I mean, those three matches, that's a hell of a card already, Jesse. It's a great baseline, and you still have two and a half weeks left. Yeah. With no world championship match announced yet. We'll see what happens after the MJF Samoa Joe just kind of what happens with the fallout there. I'm just wondering if they're going to bring over how many more New Japan people. Is this going to be a big-time crossover, or if they're going to keep AEW, keep it AEW exclusive after these three matches? Yeah. We'll see. I'm excited. You know, we just had... Man, it's crazy, because we just bought... Well, I bought two. I I did buy all out when we got back from Chicago. So, yeah, the two pay-per-views just a couple of weeks ago, and then we got another one here in a couple of weeks. So, three pay-per-views in a little over a month but i mean i'm gonna be buying it it's a strong card hopefully watching it with some buddies i don't know what you're doing that weekend by the way we'll see we we got to get together you're not i can travel down if needed so we'll we'll keep the option open 
Yeah, that could be fun. There you go. So yeah, strong cards. Dynamite, Wrestle Dream. That's what AEW has going on. And before we get to this PWI 500, Jesse, and the spicy takes on that, let's talk a little bit about something that you brought to my attention. Is this earlier today or yesterday? I can't even remember. The days are all kind of blending together now. But you said you wanted to talk about you know, WWE's use of NXT and compare that to AEW's use of, of Ring of Honor. And I think what you know brought this forward was Becky Lynch going down, winning the NXT women's title from Tiffany Stratton on NXT. Some people have been positive on that. Other people, not so much. It was a rating success. I saw the overrun went over a million, a million viewers, you know, for NXT the other night. And uh, we know WWE getting ready to negotiate television rights again. And they want to make this show look strong. So I understand why they did it in, in, from the business perspective, perspective or the business side. Um, but get, give us your thoughts, Jesse, about this comparison you wanted to make. I do, because I look at when Tony Khan purchased Ring of Honor, and then I'm looking at NXT right now as it is. I actually, from what I've been hearing, and there's a lot of like mutual people that you and I are tied with, Ryan, is that they're applauding what NXT is doing. This was before the Becky Lynch win last night as well. With just the roster that they have, you have like a Carmelo Hayes and an Ilya Dragunov and Tyler Bate who could all be called up if they really wanted to. But they're doing a really good job of developing talent, but also bringing in the right mix of veterans to help get this talent over. I so NXT while it is a development but you're you're still the roster is still so stocked that you have to bring people back down just to kind of balance things out like Baron Corbin's down there right now as well. And I know I think he's working a program with Carmelo Hayes if I'm not mistaken as well but Ring of Honor and then we we get to that where it really hasn't been determined what it is. Is it a development brand? Is it supposed to be its own entity because guys and women fly back and forth. We have Athena who hasn't really been seen on AEW television in a long time. She's the ring of honor women's champion, apparently doing some of the best work in, in the women's division throughout the world. Claudio Castagnoli is your ring of honor champion. Samoa Joe is your TV champion. So is that supposed to be a developmental ground for AEW or is it supposed to fly on its own? I think the one thing that really rubbed me the wrong way with Becky Lynch winning the NXT Women's Championship was kind of the callback to Charlotte Flair winning it in 2020. It's like, why would you take one of your arguably two biggest names in the entire women's promotion, have her go down and win the championship? It's serving the WWE audience well because they're very, very happy that some that one of their own is going to be featured a lot more maybe now on television just finishing the Trish Stratus stuff but then there's that gray line is NXT developmental is it now a third brand again and that's where I kind of bring in the tie and I love your opinion on the Ring of Honor AEW stuff as well Ryan if that's a is that developmental what is that supposed to be yeah I, I think Tony is kind of pushed back on ROH's developmental I know he's gotten some questions about that and kind of asking if that's the case and he insists you know separate company he wants it to be its own thing um we have the constant crossover on dynamite and collision so i think that makes it a little bit different you don't get as much with nxt on the main roster shows 
I think I think NXT is clearly more developmental than Ring of Honor. Um, I think the challenge with Ring of Honor is getting their audience to not see it as developmental. Like even if in their own eyes it's not, it's tough maybe to get the audience to buy that. Um, and I, I think with them sending some, you know, good, decent sized, uh, recognizable names down there here and there, uh, you know, having Claudio as the champion and everything, I think that that helps its stature, uh, you know, on the WWE side where it has more so always been developmental, it's a little more awkward when they send the big, the big stars down there. I think this was, this is clearly like a business thing that they're doing with Becky. Um, when you hearken back to, the Charlotte situation. It just makes my body twitch a little bit because that was so bad. I mean, what they did with Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley was horrendous. And history has proven it was terrible. You know, it was bad in the moment when Charlotte went over at WrestleMania. You know, they had to run it back and, and try to make it right here a couple of years later. But that did nothing for anybody. It killed Rhea Ripley in her track. She, it took her years to build back up out of that. And now she's one of the best things on the show. But I mean, that, that just stalled her cold when going into 2020, she was one of the, the hottest young stars that they had. And then, I mean, what did, what did we get out of that Charlotte situation? You know, she, she didn't end up making Rhea. It didn't do anything for her. It didn't do anything for the developmental brand. I think that, with Becky, I'm not as worried about that. I feel like just Becky in general will do more for the brand to help elevate people than Charlotte did. Yes. Uh, and so I'm not as concerned as I was when they were when they were fooling around with the Charlotte stuff, I would say for sure. I'm also way less worried about Tiffany Stratton too because she's, yeah. I think, less than two years experience and she definitely needs more seasoning, but she has a v- incredible look. And some of the stuff that she can do athletically is incredible. So you're just hoping she just needs to work on the psychology piece. So one thing I do want to tie in, I think we this was not on our format sheet, Tony, but I think this is a great tie-in, Jade Cargill. Mm-hmm. I, I think you have brought this up, and I know I have, is that with AEW and how they do like to send people out on the indies, like a sky blue to work and hone the craft. It's something that Jade never really did. So Mm -hmm. there's the rumors of her going to the WWE. I think it actually would be great to put her in the NXT role, let her get her feet wet for a while. Maybe have her be the one to unseat Becky. That'd be huge within the next like six months. If you want to keep Becky off of main roster television until like Royal Rumble time. It's okay. So Mm -hmm. four months and then just have Jade come in, win the title, but also have her start to, and she'll be able to wrestle every week on NXT programming or cut promos every week. She can do a lot of stuff in the performance center and let her just burgeon, burgeon there. Yeah, I think developmentally, it's this is a, going to be a better situation for Jade, for sure. You know, whether you like watching WWE or AEW better, she has not progressed as a performer at all. And some of that is the AEW schedule, you know, running less shows. And then, you know, I guess them not sending her on the on the indies or her not wanting to work the indies. I, I don't know what it is, but it would have helped her a hell of a lot. Uh, and, you know... Also, just with the gimmick that they were doing with her and the unbeatable thing, 
I don't know how well that translates. I mean, you could run it on the indies, but I mean, obviously, if nobody on the AEW show is beating her, nobody on the indie show is going to beat her. So it's like you just work in squash matches all the time. So I'm not sure how how much it would have helped her anyways. You get some extra work out of it. But yeah, like to your point, Sky Blue, someone who has worked a ton of indies and we've seen her progress a lot in the ring. And yeah, going to the Performance Center, working more, working more NXT shows, maybe working some house shows here and there. That That's going to do wonders for her because we've all, I mean, for years we've talked about her on the show as being, having star potential i i've always said that you know and on some of our pay-per-view reviews i've talked about man these matches are just not looking great in the ring and they've been a little sloppy she obviously has a great look she has good charisma she's not that good on the mic uh, but yeah. that's something you can learn you know i think she's she's okay on the mic but you you want her to be a little better and you know they can do that they got the promo class you know at the performance center or whatever however they want to teach her so I think I think it will be best long term for her. This is also the benefit of having an AEW and a WWE is people can move back and forth and it's exciting when they do. And so I think it's I think it's best for all parties. I don't think AEW should be like, oh, man, you know that they're losing her. Yeah, she could be a big star on the present road. I don't think that she's going to get there as of right now. And so that report dropped was it late last night early this yes, morning overnight um sap had it that the sources believe that she was on her way out and that was because it looked like she was given goodbyes uh, at the tapings uh but that being said our listeners might not have been so surprised jesse because you're i see you're wearing the double or nothing shirt and i mentioned this on our double or nothing post show at the end of May that a friend told me that she was eyeing up WWE and she was wanting to leave. You guys can, you can check it out on the double or nothing review from May, uh, three and a half months ago. And, you know, I said, I cautioned that you could take it as a strong rumor. The person that told me this isn't someone known for breaking news, but it's someone who would definitely know things. So when he told me my ears perked up a little bit. And so I, I thought it was worth mentioning on the broadcast, but I, I said in May, you know, strong rumor, I'm not saying it's going to happen for sure, but this is what I have heard. And it looks like that was accurate, Jesse. I think it's a fantastic move for her to go to the WWE. I, I also think a former podcast host here, the Jake Roberts rule is a thing. Mm-hmm. You get tired of seeing the same people on your television in the same spots for over for a, a very elongated amount of time. And I mean... And another a statistic I saw was that Jade Cargill never wrestled a match over ten minutes. All of her matches were ten minutes and under. Yeah, that sounds right. I believe it. So she and granted, I did hear Brian Danielson was working with her on some certain things, but she stagnated. And part of it was they don't have really a house show loop. They, I think they've done two or three in the last maybe nine months since like Jeff Jarrett became kind of a, a backstage presence and they 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 need to go and do some house shows maybe two times a month if they are worried about the schedule piece of it but a lot of these people do want to work the indies anyway mm-hmm. so just 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 make those two options a little more a little more friendly for them just yeah yeah they just they need to work more to stay on top of their craft i agree I mean, you're not getting any better unless you're getting the reps. And that's what we saw happen here. So anything and else we, on that before we go to the PWI stuff? Oh, no. I, I actually just wanted to talk about this as well with the with the 
TRN Unplugged that we we mentioned how oh, yeah. the house show loops in 1985, six and seven, they were doing one every night almost. Yeah. It got to a, I mean, like so. For example, Savage and Steamboat did their match a ton on the house show. So when it, when the WrestleMania stage came up, boom, they absolutely knocked it out of the park. We're not saying to go to that extent. That's going to burn a lot of people out. You can't do that anymore. But I actually do like what WWE has done, where they're doing, I think, two or three house shows a week. You mm-hmm. got you to gotta at least do that. Yeah, agreed. All right. PWI 500. Well, let's just talk briefly before we go to this list, Jesse. I mean, as children, Pro Wrestling Illustrated... And all inside wrestling, you know, all those magazines, that was our go-to because in that era, obviously we didn't have internet. And we've talked about this on the show before I before you were on the show. And I'm sure it was the case for you too. But I mean, whenever my parents would go to the grocery store, I wanted to go specifically so I could go to the magazine aisle and read all the wrestling magazines. And I would just sit there and read them while my parents shopped. And we all did that because that was our only source of information. And yeah, it's a kayfabe magazine, but still, I mean, that's where, that's where you found out what was happening across all the different promotions and you found out who the up and coming talent were. So it was a very useful publication. I don't want to be too derogatory here because I mean, it still has prestige, you know, it's still pro wrestling illustrated, but it's not as useful today as it was back then just because of the internet and how fast we get information these days you know it has rendered print magazines that you're always a couple of months behind back then you know kind of useless it's cool to like have the tangible magazine in your hands like i took my kids to uh, barnes and noble the other day and my oldest daughter who likes wrestling she saw the wrestling magazines and she was like i want i want to buy that you know and she was looking at it because she's never really even seen that before but for us, it was it was a constant thing. Go check out the wrestling magazines. I mean, we're going to talk about the list, and people are debating it. You know, rightfully so. This is the most talk these days. Pro Wrestling Illustrated gets, you know, just because the media sphere has changed so much. I just wanted to say at the top that it's it's just not the same as it used to be. Is it was that your experience as a kid? You to the T. My my yeah. mom used to actually work at a at a holiday when it was a holiday store and not a holiday gas station. I mean, they had it tied mm. together. And once a week, she would bring me home a magazine after like when she was done with work and leave it first thing in the morning. I here I am walking over, grabbing it, and eyes glued to it all. That's how I got to know the territories and just everything that was happening. So when the PWI was introduced in 1991, it was just, it was a cool kayfabe list. And yeah, I mean, now, and we, you and I both have mutual acquaintances that write articles or have, and yeah. also a couple of people that actually worked on this list, mm-hmm. which is still kind of a, it's a little bit crazy to me. It's something I would dream about. And I think you might too, where we would argue a little more in favor of some of these decisions that were made. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I read about wrestling. You write about wrestling. I'm not saying I would definitely I would definitely write a piece for the magazine. It'd be cool to have your name in print. It's pro wrestling illustrated. You know, I mean, whether or not it's as useful today as it used to be, it's still pro wrestling illustrated. So, I mean, it, it's, it's cool to those of us with nostalgia, the younger generation, probably not at all. 
you know, anyone, anyone listening to this younger than, I don't know, 30 years old, it's, it's not going to be the same as it was for our generation. So it gets, it gets the older fans talking. Some of the younger fans are probably like, what, <laughs> who cares? Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's go to the list. I'll share it here on the video stream for people watching the video right now, make this maybe a little bit bigger and we can zoom in on the, uh, the top 10. So, I mean, yeah, it is a, uh, it's a kayfabe list, but still it's going to get people talking about, all right, but who should actually be up there? I mean, they're going to, they're going to rate people based on their kayfabe standings in companies, no doubt. But I think, you know, work rate definitely plays into this still, even if it is a kayfabe list. Uh, so when you look at that top 10, for those of you that haven't seen it, you're seeing it on the stream right now. And the top five are Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, and John Moxley. The Shield, there they are. I think it was Rollins tweeted out a picture of the Shield fist today. That's clearly cool. a reference to this. And uh, I mean, yeah, obviously Seth has been a big star in WWE. The, the crowd loves singing along. But if, I mean, if it's a kayfabe list, he's not more prestigious than Roman Reigns. So I don't know how Seth Rollins is number one, Jesse. What do you think? <laughs> I'm with you on this, and I listened to Busted Open on my drive home where they had Al Castle and Candace. I can't remember her name for the life of me. We follow each other on Twitter, so go figure. There's a criteria here. It's win-loss record, technical ability, influence on the sport, success against the highest grade of competition, success against the most diverse competition, and activity. So Roman's going to lose like a peg for his activity, of course. Mm -hmm. I actually had to go dig up Seth Rollins and look at his win-loss record from... It was July 1st of 2022 until July 31st of this year. And he has lost three singles matches. So, I mean, he's got a solid win-loss record. Mm -hmm. Would I put him at number one, though? No. I mean, I see the guy at number four on the list. (laughs) I I don't know if I'd put him at one, but he'd be in the discussion because we went over it on Unplugged. He's had 18 title defenses. This was around the time that he won the title. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's probably appropriately placed, but at the same time, you can make an argument for him at one. I see a Elio Del Vikingo down there at five. I know his activity level is insane. He was just here in Minnesota at the Mall of America in a four-way. Won that, by the way. So, I mean, it's really fun. But at the same time, especially if you work in the pro wrestling business, I you go down further and you look at it and it gets bad. Yeah, especially in the 50s, as was uh, (laughs) mentioned earlier. Number 58, Tyrus. What? (laughs) Justin Joint texted us this because, you know, we were talking about how um, Brian Danielson and Will Ospreay should obviously be in the top 10 and probably top five for both of them. And yes, uh, Tyrus at 58. He can't move anymore. He can't I see work. West, right? <laughs> yeah. I see Wesley at sixty six. He was the North American champion in NXT for the majority of this period. You could totally move him up there. Yeah. I see a guy like Kendo Miyahara at sixty seven. 
Eddie Kingston, 77, almost 20 spots below Tyrus, for God's yeah. sake. That's I'm absurd. not going to go through the whole the whole fi- 500, but I mean, you're seeing the the 100 here on the list. And I mean, that that is just shameful. Come on. Even in a kayfabe list, there is no argument for Tyrus at 58. No way. Who would you put at one right now, Ryan? I mean, again, it depends on your your own definition of how you're doing it. To me, just flat out best wrestler in the world, probably Will Ospreay. Yeah. Um, I would definitely have Brian in the top five, though. And, you know, yeah, he, he has been injured for stretches. But, you know, Roman's number two, and he's worked like twice as many matches as Roman in the last year. And not only that, I mean, Brian Danielson just had the best strap match of all time back at Revolution, arguably the best uh, Iron Man match of all time. He had a classic with Okada at Forbidden Door where he worked for 10 minutes with a broken wrist. I think Brian should be in the top five. I think Osprey should be up there. I think Roman just out of star power should be up there. Yeah, I mean, Seth Rollins would not be in my top five, Jesse. Okay. He'd be in my top, top 10, 10. probably. Yeah, I'd put him in the top 10. Yeah. Moxley's won a ton. Mm-hmm. You, I think just because this is a cave fabe list and Roman is spearheading these numbers, and while he's not high on the merchandise list, undefeated, obviously, in singles competition. So, I mean, I don't think you could put him lower than five. No, he's he has to be in the top five. I mean, the character work has definitely fallen off this year because the bloodline has definitely started to run out of steam. Yes. Um, but he's still the top star in the biggest wrestling company in the world. I just to me, it's weird to have Seth rated over him when Roman is like so even with him having the new third world title, Seth Rollins, Roman <laughs> is just such a bigger deal than Seth Rollins still that and well, isn't this like Seth's third time at the top of this list? I think I saw. They said they tied it with John Cena. Yeah, for the wow. most ones in that PWI is, history. That is a little bizarre. And I say that as an Iowan. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I don't know about that. I, I definitely would have Seth in the top 10, though. I would. I like the cool stuff, though. Orange Cassidy at eight. Yeah, Cassidy deserves to be up there. He has been one of the most consistent performers all year, helping elevate that international title. No problem with that at all. Cody's at 10. Josh Alexander, number nine. Thoughts on that? So he missed a significant part of this pay of this period with injury. I mean, he's he's the best overall performer in impact. That guy can wrestle. It's just a yeah. problem, is he's just not seen as much in television. The biggest crime is you could scroll down just one little bit there. I about peed my pants when I saw. Masha Slamovich at 15, Brian Danielson at 16, Will Ospreay at 17. I looked at Masha Slamovich's last year, and she was losing a couple of matches on the independent scene in Canada in these lesser promotions. Singles matches, mind you, to women. And you're, she was the GCW champion during this period. But 15 ahead of Will Ospreay, who, yes, he's lost about eight or nine matches, but he's worked a ton. Two G1s during this period. 
defeated Kenny Omega, defeated Chris Jericho, United States or UK, United States, whatever champion. He's wrestled a ton. And Brian Danielson, who had a small inactive period. And obviously, I think on a kayfabe list where win-loss record kind of matters and he doesn't care. It's like, yeah, he's lost a little more than maybe these voters would like. But if you one of these criteria is technical ability, I'm putting Brian Danielson above everybody else on this list except for maybe like a guy like a Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that Joe should be above Brian. We were just no. very complimentary of Joe. But, I mean, he shouldn't be above Brian Danielson or Will Ospreay, obviously. So some of these names are like in the the right um what's the term i'm looking for the general area but they should be a little bit higher yeah i actually think cody's kind of perfect at 10 because he missed those those months with with uh peck injury Mm -hmm. and he's lost to brock once and roman once but he's been winning majority of his matches from there oh there's another crime 25 omega 25 yeah wow same amount of singles matches as Roman Reigns. I did look that up as well. But his match quality is arguably the highest of anybody on this list. Yeah. Two like, matches with Osprey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Takeshita. Match Two match, matches yeah. with, with Vikingo. I mean, absurd. Yeah. And just and, and some of the younger, he's, he's, he wrestled Wheeler Yuta, Jeff Cobb. Yeah. You got to throw a guy like that higher, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are some glaring errors, but some of it is somewhat right. Like you said, with Cody, um, you got Sammy Zayn and Owens at 21 and 22. Owens is ahead of Sammy, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I don't know. Zack Sabre's at 36, if, in case you were wondering. Braun Breaker coming in at 37. I see Jay White at 32, mm-hmm. which... I know people were kind of like, hey, AEW, or he was over in New Japan winning a ton, and then he just went over to AEW, and they haven't used him correctly. I look at 42 over there, too, or 43, Ricky Starks. I think he'll be a little higher next year. Matt Cardona at 31. Wow. I mean, I I thought the stuff he did with GCW was pretty damn entertaining. I'm not going to lie, but that seems pretty high. (laughs) I don't know. He wins a lot. Yeah, well. that's the that's the like the only argument is the kayfabe win loss, but it's yeah. one piece of it. But yeah, I see number thirty nine on that list, Mike Bailey. I'd throw him up higher. Yeah, <laughs> he's Agree. really really good. He's just not as well known in the United States. Yeah, I mean, again, it's one piece of it. But I mean, if you're talking win loss, even if Seth's only lost a few, Roman's lost. You know, he should be number one. I mean, that should carry a ton of weight. Biggest star in the company. Biggest ratings mover. Um, at different times, he's selling the most merch a lot of the time. I don't know, man. I'm almost getting talked into Gunther at number one. I think just from a ring work perspective and what he has done for the IC title and uh, yeah, just as a performer overall, I, w- I would have him very high maybe number one for the wwe guys yeah i yeah i mean again if if i think merch and money and everything weren't weren't involved will osprey is number one and you're yeah the debate's not close but mm-hmm. if you're throwing all these other these these uh tangibles in here yeah it'd have to be 
I think two, three, and four would be in the discussion. It'd be Roman Reigns, John Moxley, Gunther. You throw Will Ospreay in there, and maybe Brian Danielson. I think the only knock you'd put on Danielson is just the amount of losses he's accumulated because everything else, he's just been a tremendous boon for AEW. Yeah, I think I think when you look at top ten, Rollins should be in the top ten. Reigns, Moxley, Gunther. That's all. You know, we talk about the order, but they are in the top ten. They definitely should be. MJF should definitely be in the top ten. He's at six. Um, I got Okada at seven. Um, boy, I don't, I don't know. He's a great performer. He works a lot, like you said. I'm not sure if Akingo should be in the top ten though. It's just just from a star power perspective. Since we're talking, this is a kayfabe list. I think he's probably too high there, and I think even being a great worker it's still impact i'm not sure josh allen alexander should be in the top 10 if, if you're taking this true to heart as kayfabe that's fair. probably high um i'd i'd probably move brian up for sure uh yep. maybe even uh sammy you know has a case to be higher oh my gosh yeah he's been all over the map and yeah i think so yeah july 1st that was when the bloodline started getting hot mm-hmm. absolutely yeah, so yeah, when you look at the perfect. last yeah, look at the last calendar year. So, I don't know. Again, it's it's kayfabe is is making up part of their order here, but it's always worthy of discussion, especially on a pro wrestling podcast. And people are going to be talking on on social media a lot. So, we wanted to cover it at least a little bit. We have <laughs> talked about it in years past, I know, on this show. And they whoopsed two names out of this 500, where they last year Cash Wheeler was omitted on accident. This year was Tetsuya Naito and yep. Anthony Bowens. Come on, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So that's it. Much that's love PWI to Claudio cover. as well, by the way. I like I like where he's at at 12. 12. Yeah. I mean, carrying that ROH title. So let us know what you think. There be some posts probably in the Facebook group about this as well. Make sure you join the Facebook group, Top Rope Nation Pro Wrestling Discussion, and let us know your thoughts there. So... Yeah, that's that's the PWI 500. That is our show this week. Anything else, Jesse? I think we covered everything for the most part that we needed to. We're looking forward to another strong week of pro wrestling. And hopefully tomorrow goes seamlessly for WWE employees. Buzzball. Yeah, I mean, thinking about everyone out there, unfortunately, as we said, part of the business side not that unexpected but you hate to see anyone lose their job so it'll be a rough day tomorrow probably as some of you are listening to this right now you're going to be reading tweets and and news coming across about some of those layoffs so um, thoughts to everyone out there that is going to be affected by that for sure yeah good call there uh so join the uh the facebook group get in on this discussion every week we will be looking forward to Justin returning next week and we'll be talking a little grand slam and, and anything that happens coming out of WWE after this merger and what goes down on Friday this week. Jesse, appreciate the time as always, my friend, anything you want to promote or plug the top rope nation, Patreon group. Gotta, gotta do it. There's a lot of great bonus stuff that Ryan alluded to earlier. And then a couple of weeks, Michael Jenkinson will be rejoining me. We're going to be doing breakdown in your house september from 1998 yes i remember parts of that show i'm looking forward to watching the raw afterwards ryan and reporting back to you about the winged eagle in the glass case (laughs) 
we got into this discussion, you guys, on our SummerSlam 98 classic show a couple of weeks ago, which you can hear on the Patreon page. And I had just remembered that they had brought back the Winged Eagle in 98 out of nowhere for one night only. And I couldn't remember the show it was on. And then Jesse looked it up and found out it was that night. So that will be coming up. Very good on that. Uh, the SummerSlam 98 pod that we did, by the way, about two and a half hours. Some great feedback coming in on that. Only way to hear it is by joining the Patreon group. You can get that seven-day free trial and get full access and start listening in to all of those. And in about two weeks, we're going to be recording the the uh, September edition of Classics. And that's going to be on the seventh edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. That one's going to be a lot of fun. It is. That That is for sure. And then lastly, if you are listening and have not subscribed to the YouTube channel, it is imperative that you do so. Please. We are very close. Very, very close to 1,000 subscribers. I think we're like 40 away on YouTube. So go subscribe to Top Rope Nation on YouTube. Get us to 1,000. Once you get to 1,000 on YouTube, it unlocks all kinds of stuff that you can't do until you get to 1,000 subs. And we were we are so, so close right now. So if you're out there listening, just open up your YouTube app. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Of course, it's free to subscribe to YouTube channel. So just help us out and do that. It'll take you two seconds. We would really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully maybe next week we'll be at 1,000, Jesse, and we can celebrate. We'll see. We are so, so close. Just need another Tony Khan sit down on a chair. That's all we need. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I really popped it. Uh, One thing I am looking forward to doing, hopefully, if I can figure it out, is I want to do a live stream on our YouTube channel playing this new WWF No Mercy mod that came out. I posted this in the Facebook group. Uh, There's a group of people that made a No Mercy mod with classic WWF. It is incredible. I did download it on my laptop. I am waiting for a retro controller to get here to play it. And if I can figure out how to stream myself playing it on our YouTube channel, I'm going to do it. And uh, so watch the YouTube channel for that. Put notifications on so you can see when I go live. But I want to do a playthrough on that so you guys can see it. You can see some reviews out there right now. The game is free. Uh, You have to. It takes a little bit to install it. You know, it's a ROM. So you got to go through all these steps. But people have how-to guides on YouTube on how to do it. I figured it out. I got it done in like 10 to 15 minutes. And it looks incredible, man. I mean, what the, these people did with the graphics, with the arenas, with the backstage elements, with the audio and the commentary, is it's so cool. So I'm hoping to do a playthrough. Uh, we will see. It's called like, is it WWF Legend 64? I believe that is what it's called. I saw it in the Facebook group. I need to click on that link because I actually have a high quality gaming computer that I'm using right now. So if I can oh, clear some go. data, that's probably the ticket for me. I have the I have a video review up in the in the Facebook group. So if you guys haven't checked that out, I think it's the Wrestling Bios YouTube channel did it. And when I saw that, I was like, I have got to find a way to play this. This looks incredible. And yeah, they built it from the ground up on the No Mercy engine. And it's very, very cool. If you're an old school wrestling fan like we are, I think you'll dig it. So hopefully I can do I can do a live play along to that here in the next week or two. We'll see. So anyways, that's about it from us, Jesse. Appreciate it. This has been episode 310 of Top Rope Nation. You can follow him at Jesse C. Velasquez. You can follow me at Ryan Drosty on all the social channels and follow the show at Top Rope Nation. And we will be talking to you very soon. Stay tuned. Have a great weekend. See you all next time. Masha Slamovich.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.